Shelter Cove Online. We are so glad that you're joining us today for this sermon. We hope and pray that this message encourages you, that you learn something, that you enjoy it. But more than that, we just pray that God would move in your life that he would reveal some more of himself to you today. If you would like to respond to this message in any way, you can contact us at sheltercovelive.com. Have an amazing rest of your day. My name is Bill, one of the pastors here at Shelter Cove. We want to welcome you again as you've already been welcomed, but thank you for being here. Thank you for taking Isn't it great to be in God's house, to be in God's church with God's family, with his people? It is about what it's about. I love Sundays. I love the concept of the church, how God brings us together and gives us a purpose. We are not here just for ourselves, and that's what today we're really all about As we have a missions influence that isn't just to be about today, but it's to be about, to be about every day in the days to come. Now, if you have kids, if you have little ones and they're in our kids' cove over there, they're going to be getting a passport today. That passport, uh, it has games, it has all kinds of stuff. And from these, they're going to bring these out of the kids. They're going to go to the mall area. They're going to get stamps. And then after they go through and they get the stamps for each of the various ministries, then they come to the table, the front table. They get, they'll get a bracelet. They're going to get a little squishy ball that has the world on it. And then best yet, they get uh, shaved ice cones out there on the front. And so that's what they get. But not only uh, are there's a pa- is there a passport for our kids, there's a passport for you as well. Uh, and so if you would like one, it doesn't have all the games in it, doesn't have all that in it, but it, it lists our missions, our missionaries, our local organizations. You can get that, you can go around. I wanna encourage you today to take advantage. Often we're told, who do you, who do you support? What are you doing? They're listed in the, in the passport, but they're also there. I wanna take you, um, really encourage you and you can go around that and take a world tour right around those tables. And you need to do so. Know who you're praying for. Know who they are. Meet them. And you're going to meet some of them in the service at the end. We're going to go through Colossians again today. If you are here and you need a Bible, there's some guys that have some right here. If you just raise your hand, they'll get you one. Uh, if you don't have it, you can keep it. If you don't have one, but if you need it, just raise your hand and they'll get it to you as we get going. We have been in the book of Colossians. And it's a rich book. It's a very rich book. Uh, it was written to make sure, we're not going to spend a lot of time on recapping, but there were, it was written to make sure that those people in, Coloss- in Colossae who had given their lives to Christ, these Colossian people, there started to be some heresy that was coming about. That the, the gospel was being perverted. It was being changed. And so Paul writes a letter from a prison cell and he sends it back to the church at Colossae. And he, and he comes here and there's three basic themes that we're quickly gonna look at this morning just to capture up, catch you up in verses in chapters one and two. The first of those themes are the defense of the sufficiency of Christ. Now Paul was saying, listen, Christ is, there's a defense of Christ is God in the fullness of the deity dwells within him. The world was created. It hangs together. We hang together today. All is brought together because of the sufficiency of Christ. Christ wasn't just an emanation of something. He wasn't a created being. He was God. He came in the flesh. He, he carried our sins on the cross. He died. He went into that tomb and he rose again, thus giving us the gospel through the blood and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. It wasn't the ending of the story. It was the beginning of the story for each of us. The second theme that we have seen is that you are complete in Christ. Today, you are complete in Christ. When you are born again, when you place your trust, realizing you're a sinner in need of a savior, realizing that, man, it's not working so well with my own life trying to lead my life here. Realizing that your eternal security is not, your destiny isn't known. If you die today, you don't know that you'd be in heaven. 
When you don't know that, when, but when we give our life to Christ, he says, listen, you are complete in him. Your eternity is secure. You are forgiven. And when we fail, when we fail, I am so thankful that his promises are based on his faithfulness and not on my unfaithfulness. And when we fail, he doesn't say, yeah, I'm going to push you down, beat you down, hit you with that sledgehammer, keep you down, drop the piano on your life. You know, you're going to go out of church and your tires are going to be flat. You know, no, that's not what's going to happen. He says, when you fail, you get up and you say, thank you, Jesus, that you have made me complete in you. And we have one who stands before the father, an advocate. He stands on our defense. People say, yeah, God's watching you. Yeah, but you know what God sees when he sees me? He sees the blood of the Lord Jesus. That's what he sees. He says, I have, been, I have paid your way. I paid the debt of your sin. And so when God looks at us, he sees me through the veil of the blood of the Lord Jesus. And I've given him my life. And he says, man, that's my child. I paid the debt for that. He's forgiven. And that's what that means. You are complete in Christ. But we've also seen over and over again, it is all about Christ alone. They were taking that which was partially the truth. Yeah, you need Christ, but you also need this. But you also need this. And they would add in you today, you may be here saying, well, we, yeah, Christ wants a relationship with me, but I gotta do this, I gotta do that, I gotta do this. No, it is about Christ alone. It's Christ plus nothing else. We, man, people even today try to teach that for you to stay secure in Christ, you have to do something. Man, we are sealed of the day of redemption by his spirit that he places on us, that he gives us. It's a work done by him. It's kind of, our salvation is a glorious work. It's all done by him. Listen to chapter one. It kind of captures all this, verse 19 and 20. It says, for in him, all the fullness of the deity dwells, all of it. He is God. And through him, through himself, to reconcile to himself everything on the earth, in heaven, including us, his desire is to reconcile us to him and making peace by the blood of the cross. It's through the blood of the Lord Jesus that we have peace. It's through that empty tomb that he rose again. He defeated death. He defeated the enemy our victory is secure. Oh, there's battles, believe me, but our victory is secure. We know the end of the story. We know what God has said. Now, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says we're a new creation. When you give your life to Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. We've been given a new nature by his amazing grace. He has forgiven us. We no longer need to live in the shame of our past. In my counseling, so many times I have people and they can't, even from week to week, you think, okay, we passed this hurdle and they, can, they come back. And again, they're still living in the shame of a decision they made years ago or a thought they had years ago. And we live in that shame. And what he's saying here is you're a new creation. You have been, you've been forgiven. You're done. You're, you live in the newness of life. Live as in the new family that we have placed you within. In chapters one and two, Paul lays that foundation. But in chapters three and four, he makes a shift and he goes from the shift of the foundation of the truth. And he says, how is that gonna be seen in the outworking in our lives, in your life, in my life? What's it gonna look about? He talks about, even in chapter three, what we are to put off from that old man. Oh, we learn to carry those things well. But when we're made new, he says, put those off, put them aside. They're no longer needing to be part of your life. And then he tells us what we are need to put on, put on these things in your life. 
He talks about relationships in chapter three. He talks about the relationships between husband and wife. He talks about how we should treat people, employee to employer, all the different ways that we are to be seen. And then he comes to conversations, the issues of our talk, our mouth, our words, our accent. What is the accent of our life? It should be that of a new creation. In the book of James chapter three, he says, can can bitter water and sweet water come out of the same fountain? And the answer is no. And for us, when we have been made a new creation, that fountain changes, the bitter should be gone, the old should be gone, and there should be fresh water, spring water coming forth from our mouth. It should be seen that way. The main point of the passage that we're gonna look at, the main point of this passage is having conversations of our faith with others. The main point of this, con- of this passage is Paul is entreating us to share our faith. I hope that this is the too, too old a pastor coming out here, so forgive me. I'm too old and too long in the, long in the tooth for this, but it's just, let's listen to me. I've seen a lot of worship experiences. I've seen a lot of worship takes place. We just had one. Victor and the team does a great job. I hope you're as excited about the word of God when you leave here about what your responsibility is as you were when you were raising your hands and you were worshiping God through a song. Because if you're not, your worship is hollow. Now that doesn't go over well with some, but I'm just telling you the words of our heart, the meditation we sing, it should be out of the overflow. It's not because of of any kind of manipulation. And when we hear the word, just like they heard the word, man, it should challenge us. It should motivate us to go to win the world of Jesus. And if you walk out of here when we're done and you say, oh, that was sweet, let's go. What's for lunch? Is the roast burning? All of those kind of things in your worship is hollow. Uh, Yeah, write it on a card because I'm gonna get them. Listen, we need to say, God, your worship begins with your word. And if the point of this passage is if we know Christ, the issue is how do we have that conversation? So I asked the question, can we talk? Well, of course we can talk. We have that, we're talking now, we talked, you talked before. But the real question is, yes, we can talk, but how are we to talk? What is the accent of our life? What is the accent? Is it that of the old man or the new man? Do the words that we say, are they the old man or the new man? My wife is from Kentucky. I said this in the first service, then after service, I had some people who were from Kentucky. And they said, I thought, oh no, I'm in trouble. No, they said, we agree wholeheartedly. Uh, there are times, there are times, man, especially if she is talking with her family or with her family, that man, she, she, I mean, it gets thick. The Kentucky language, that Kentucky accent gets thick. Just show a hand, we have anybody from Kentucky here? Please no. Oh, wait, wait in the back. Okay, no, I'm in trouble. But listen, that, that accent gets so thick. I tell her at times, I tease her, I need a translator to understand you guys. I don't even understand what you're saying. Is there a Kentucky translator? Now, she has been in California long enough, I call it Calatucky. You know, she kind of has that Calatucky going on. But she has an accent. And with that accent, I mean, it, it is, it's hilarious. My family knows, I don't even know if they were with us at this time, but we went to eat. In fact, I think it was just right down the street here at Mike's. And we were ordering, and when we ordered, the waitress looked at me, and I looked at the waitress. We both looked at my wife. She ordered again. She looked at, the waitress looked at me, I looked at her, looked at my wife. Finally, I said, can I just see what you're trying to order here? Can I just read it in the envelope, in, in the menu? And, and uh, she said, yeah. I said, okay. She goes, I want that Mandarin salad. You want the what? I want that Mandarin salad. 
I said, well, here in California, we call that Mandarin. That, it would be a Mandarin salad, okay? It's Mandarin, not Mandarin. Well, it's, that was like uh, offensive, like, no, it's Mandarin. It's a Mandarin salad. But she had an ex- a, a, a natural accent. But you know what's even crazier? I am not from Kentucky. I have, some of you know that I have roots in Oklahoma, so every once in a while you hear, hey, y'all, how you doing? I'll get that. But what's the craziest thing is that when I get around her and her family and they start going Kentucky hard, I'm, all of a sudden I find myself talking Kentucky light. And I'm thinking, what accent? And then I realize, you know, wait a minute, I'm, I'm becoming that, that accent. And that's what we need to realize when we come to know Christ, that accent, that needs to be that Christ is preeminent in our life. And we start having the accent of Christ, that they see something different. And as I walk, it's not developing Christianese that people don't understand. It's not having big theological words. But it's talking, I'm gonna talk different as a new man than I am as an old man, as one who knows the family, that Christ is born in us. That new birth, man, it brings a new relationship. It brings a new nature. It brings a new priority. It brings a new family of which we are here. It brings a new purpose and it should bring a new way of talk, a new accent and a new speech. Our our speech should conform to that of the creation life, this new life. We ought to be losing the accent of the world and gaining the accent of of whose child we are. Um, Colossians chapter four, two to six, speaks of our speech. You'll see this. Devote yourselves to prayer. That's speech. Speech with God, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that we may open a door, that God may open a door for our message. That we may, what's it say? Proclaim. You do that with words. The mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Verse six, it will come. Let your conversation, your speech, be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And especially speaking of those who are outside the faith. Do we know how to talk to those who are outside of faith? And so one distinct element and benefit of coming to know Christ is our conversation with God alone. That prayer time. He tells us to pray. The speech of prayer. How are we to pray? He gives us in this message. He gives us in this passage. What are we to pray? In our conversation with God, what is our accent? You say, well, we pray. We just pray. Do we pray as the world does? God, I want this. I want that. Meet here, meet that. I need this. Bless the numbers that I'm putting in for the lottery, please, right now. And if, God, if I win the lottery, I will give something to the church. God, you know, know, bless this, bless that. Or do we pray with the attitude that says no? Whatever the answer is, yes, no, or maybe later, it's all to the honor and glory of the God, our Father. That everything resides around that, revolves around that. If you want to talk, the passage here deals with our conversation, creating a way that we talk to those around us in our sphere of influence, whether here or around the world. How do we have a conversation about our faith with others? But listen, if you want to talk to others about God, we probably should start by talking to God about others. You need to come to the point. I need to come to the point. Man, who's on my prayer list? Who is it that I'm targeting that I'm praying for? 
It doesn't matter. I mean, it, it can be a family member. It can be, what, it can be anybody, but who is on that list that you're praying for, that you're praying for today in your devotions? Who are you praying for? Who are you saying, God, I usually, uh, it's probably not the best, but I, people who know me, man, when I meet somebody and I know that they need to know Christ, I say they got a target on their back. It's a prayer target. I'm not gonna hurt them, but it's a prayer target. But man, I'm starting to pray for them. I keep a list. I'm praying for so-and-so and and I wanna live and speak with an accent that's gonna draw them to Jesus. The issues of how do we speak? He says, if you wanna talk to God about, if you wanna talk to God to others, let's talk to him first. He says, first, continue steadfastly. One passage says, devote yourselves within that. It is the idea of having God in the very forefront of your mind that our God conscious, the very first response in our life, no matter what comes in our life every day is we talk to God. That our first response is, okay, God, I, I just need to take back step. I know you're in control. I know you're a good God. I know you want the very best for me. I may see this as terrible, but I'm just gonna step back, God, and give it to you. I'm not gonna respond. There's only two things in life that I really can control. One is my attitude and one is my response. You can't make me change my attitude. You can try, but I choose my attitude. And you can't make me respond the way you may think. I choose my response. And so part of living this, when we want to talk to continue steadfastly, it speaks of urgently, urgency, sharing Christ. It speaks of priority, that sharing Christ with those and having an urgency to do so that we want to walk out of this building saying, man, I'm bummed. Who's my on my list? And I'm looking for the opportunity to do so. He says to pray expectantly. That's praying with the awareness that God is at work. Praying that, that, that God wants to use, not just that he is at work, but that he wants to use you. That he wants to use me within that work. We pray expectantly. Expectation is defined as a strong belief that something will happen or be the case in the future. I pray and I'm saying, okay, God, save so-and-so and I'm not gonna do it anymore. And someplace, you know, okay. That's not praying expectantly. That's not lifting up fervently, continuing steadfastly devoting myself to praying. He says to pray with an expectation. There's a story in the Bible, which I'll quickly tell. It starts in Acts chapter 12, verse five. And it says, so Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Man, that sounds wonderful, doesn't it? That was really, here's the story. James, the, the brother of John was, was killed and Herod killed him. And it was kind of like scoring political points. He, he needed a, and so as he, as he martyred him, what happened is the people, the Jews, and especially as they were persecuting this new church, Herod noticed everybody got kind of high. Ah, whoa, woohoo! You know, he said, hey, that scored some points. So next time I need a bump in my ratings, I'm gonna put Peter in prison. And the next time I need a bump, I'm gonna take Peter out and I'm gonna eat, kill him. And I'll get another bump in my ratings. And so that's why he, it says the story, that's why he kept him. That man, this is, the, I'm gonna put him in prison. So Peter's in prison. The other believers, the church was meeting, they were meeting and they were praying for Peter's release. They were praying fervently, earnestly for Peter's release. The story goes on that an angel of the Lord came, touched Peter, said, come on, get up. The chains fell off, put a cloak on, let's go. Delivers him to the house where they're praying. So Peter goes to the house and he knocks on the door. No answer. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Knocks on the door. So Rhoda comes to the door. Now he must be saying something because she understood and recognized his voice. I don't know what he was saying. I don't know, I gotta go to the bathroom or it's, it's, man, what are you having for dinner or whatever it may be, I don't know. But she understood his voice. 
Now, you and I might think we just open the door, right? Woohoo! Party on. No. Answering prayer. No. She panics. Like, uh, she goes back to where they're praying. Hey, 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 Peter's at the door. Quiet. We're praying for Peter's release. <laughs> no, you don't get it. We're, he's, he's here. He's right here. Do you have no decorum? We're praying for Peter's release. You know, finally, someone gets up, says, okay, 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 be quiet, opens the door. Verse 12, chapter 12, verse 16. But Peter continued knocking. They didn't come. And when they finally opened the door, they saw him and they were amazed. Were they praying with that expectation? Were they praying with the expectation, God, man, you could deliver him right now? You could answer this right now? No, no. They were deep in prayer, but they missed the fact that God had already answered. And sometimes we need to pray that with that expectation that says, God, man, man, we, we're listening. We are watching. We want to be expectant of your answering our prayer. I know that even my wife and I, we prayed for a number of months, one up to a year, for three different situations. And in this situation of these three people, we prayed and prayed and prayed and just continued. And then after so many, 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 many months of us fervently praying, within two weeks, all of those prayers were answered. We cried, it was with joy, we thought, wow. And then my wife said, but why am I surprised? And I thought, I wonder how expecting we really were praying. We were praying faithfully, but we were really expecting God to answer, knowing that he could, knowing that he could answer my prayer, our prayer. He says to pray purposefully. Man, he prayed expectantly to open doors for him to share the gospel. He prayed with purpose. Not how God will use someone else, but how God would use him. He prayed for the opportunity. Man, prayed watchfully. God, he didn't replay. Do you see that he didn't pray for release from prison? He didn't pray for relief. He prayed for the opportunity to be a testimony to share, to speak, to talk to those about the gospel, this mystery of the gospel of the Lord Jesus to pray purposefully. Are you aware of the time when God nudges you, just those spiritual nudges, the Holy Spirit nudges you that say, man, maybe you need to say, say something here. Maybe you need to stop right here and pray for that individual. Maybe you need to meet a need of their life. Or do you use your Shelter Cove phone a friend lifeline and say, hey, I'm gonna call my friend. Shelter Cove, can you have somebody on staff call? Because this guy needs a need, but I'm not gonna meet it. No, we pray with purpose, not just that God is at work, but that God will use me, that God will use you. Those spiritual nudgings, man. And you know what? The more you answer those spiritual nudgings, the more when you start saying, wow, that was great, the more you hear, the more you're attuned to it, the more you're ready just to say, man, I, I, I want to pray for that person, pray with that person, encourage that person, whatever it may be, that we may proclaim that is our prayer. We are praying not so somebody else may proclaim, but that we may proclaim the good news of the gospel. They prayed thankfully. No matter what the answer or seemingly an answer, no answer, not yet. It is all about his glory that is the object. Paul's in prison again. He didn't pray for the doors to come off the hinges. He just prayed for that opportunity to proclaim. But he said that when I do, when I have that opportunity, he moves from prayer into the actual words that we're going to say. He says when he says, I, I want that opportunity, but I want to speak. And he first he says, I want to speak with clarity. And we need to be speaking with clarity. May they understand our words. Don't. Don't use some deep theological seminary 25 cent word that no one understands. 
Don't get into that point where you're talking about all these things that they have no understanding. We want to speak with clarity. Yes, we want to get to the gospel. Yes, we want to have that point. But we want it with clarity, not afraid to talk to others of our faith in Christ of our faith, of our story, of how he used me. No one knows your story better than you. And you can tell your story in reality. And you can tell that story and ultimately come down. Christ changed your life. Pray and speak. But when you speak, speak with clarity. Speak with wisdom. Finding common ground. Discover the, their need. Discover their perception of God. Last time I spoke, I told you that when I meet an atheist, and they say, I, I don't believe in God. I'll ask them to describe for me what they don't believe about God. And they have no problem doing so. They will gladly describe for you what they don't believe about God. And usually, nine out of ten times, I'll be able to step back and say, you know what, We're, we agree on that because I wouldn't believe in that God either. Because they don't know the true God. They don't know about him. They don't know about his grace. They don't know that. But with wisdom, listen. Sharing your faith is not like wearing a spiritual sidearm and we're going to put another notch in our belt. Ah, I shared Christ with another one now and then you're no more. It's about listening, creating, and sharing them with care, with graciousness, seasoned with salt in all things. Being gracious, being gracious. Man, that word defines itself, doesn't it? it? Being gracious, seasoned with salt in all things. Man, you know salt, salt preserves, salt tenderizes, salt flavors. Our words should preserve a relationship. Our words should preserve a relationship making us tender to those around us, making our attitude and life like the flavor they want more of. That man, there's something different about that person. There's something different in the way he speaks. In all things, it says. But I realize in all things didn't really mean all things, right? It doesn't really mean all things because Facebook and Pinterest or whatever it is and, and all the other Instagram and all these other things that they create well, they weren't created, so he doesn't mean in all things, right? Wrong. Folks, I, I pretty well separated myself from social media. One, because I'm a dinosaur and don't really understand it. That's not real spiritual. That's just me. My grandkids tease me all the time. But two, when I was, I got, I was appalled, appalled by some of the things you write as a child of God. The one thing worse about this idea of immediately, ah, response, we talked about what you can control in your response and immediately it's like, send, and once it's gone, it's gone. Man, you look and say, God, is that, is that honoring to you? Is that honoring to, to, to the family of God? Is that being gracious? Is that, is that seeking their best? And you're gonna say, yeah, but it's true. I don't care whether it's true. I don't even care anything about that. We used to say, you know, practice what you preach. Maybe we need to start practicing what we post. Now, I, I, I can't go too far on in that. I know what I've seen. James here helps me a lot saying, man, Bill, this, this, this is not right. My grandkids help me a lot because they, they, they know it. But folks, our accent should change even in what we type. Some of you need to take a break. Take a breath. Don't respond so quickly. Give it a rest. 
Why? Because it's all to be tied up, everything. All of our words should be seasoned with grace and love in all things. Is what I'm saying loving? Is what I'm writing, does it communicate the love of God? Love never fails. Love, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You know it as the love chapter. I've pulled some of these verses. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, man, I can worship God in all this. But have not love. I am a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal, or just yada, yada, yada. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love never ends. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. I'm not talking about some ooey gooey love like I love pizza or whatever. It's talking about the love of the Lord Jesus. Many of you who know me, uh, my mantra has been love never fails. My kids will tell you that. Oh, oh, love never fails. Love never fails. But let me just tell you, I meet with men in discipleship opportunities. And the first lesson we go over, some of you men know this. The very first lesson is this lesson. Love never fails. Love never fails. If you'll practice that, that's all you got to do for the first week. Just practice love never fails. Go home and before you utter those words to your wife or to your kids, think, is this loving? Whoa. Because it always comes back to the second week. Man, did I realize I wasn't very loving. Love never fails. It comes back. It comes back to us. Listen, and when we know Christ, we should have a desire, an urgency, a joy about going out of these doors in just a minute and sharing with others that we know him and how they can know him. It should be a passion of our life. You today are a minister. When we know Christ, we'll have that desire. Yes, you need to learn. Yes, you need to pray for courage. Yes, you need to pray for opportunity. Just like Paul says, I'm looking for the opportunity to share. Man, you pray for those opportunities and then you speak with clarity. You speak with wisdom. You speak with that boldness that comes from God with with sensitivity and with love. But today, listen, we are a minister. That very same chapter in Corinthians says, not only are we made new, he says, you're a minister. You have the ministry of reconciliation. You are a a missionary. You are an ambassador. He has given us that, that role that each of us here, if you bear the name of Christ, it is not about those gathered around the tables out there. It is about each of you and me sitting in these chairs, every one of us in your own way, in your own story. And today, as we celebrate the issue of missions, we have some living examples, and I, and 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 I want them to head towards the stage here because I'm about out of time. Head towards the stage, guys. But listen, as they come, we have a church that gives magnanimously. I'm just telling you, you guys. I want to encourage you. I thank you. I appreciate you doing that. You give magnanimously, and we give to missions, and we support, and we want to grow as we do more and more. On that table out there, you'll see opportunities at the end of the month where you can serve. You'll see a missions trip coming up in November. You're gonna see other things as we develop that you can be a part of. We want that and we appreciate you giving that, but let me just tell you, we want you to give, but your giving doesn't replace your involvement. Man, it doesn't at all. Your giving doesn't buy God off on our missions responsibility, on our evangelism, on our love for our neighbors and our friends. And so I pray in just a moment as we leave here that you will have the same joy as you stood and worshiped and got warm and fuzzy that we will walk out of here with an intent that God, I worship because I can show others your grace. That's what it's about. All right, guys, did you get that mic behind you right there? 
this is Josh, you know how to turn that on? You're a young man, of course, you can tell me all about that. I tease this guy incessantly, I love this young man. Uh, unfortunately, his wife couldn't come, we tried to get the other way around where he stayed home and his wife came. Unfortunately, we got, jo- no, you no, You got no. the worst yeah. half, so that's so, okay. Uh, introduce yourself, tell us where you're at, tell us what you're doing. I wanna tell one story that I told these guys, they didn't know, but uh, just before you start. Uh, these two couples work in Mexico, but last, last night, sorry, I'm sorry, stealing your thunder. <laughs> but last night, um, I had a guy who was here for the second time in our church. He and his family came the second time. And he said, man, I am so glad we came to your church and know that you have a heart for missions. We're coming back. We want that. We want that. Because 20 years ago in a little, a little town outside of Ensenada, Cali something or whatever, they were there and a church brought a missions group down and he gave his life to Jesus 20 years ago on that field. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and that, that's why we go. That's why we go. Okay, tell us, Josh. So yeah, my name is Josh. My wife's name is Corinne. Uh, I'm actually from Shelter Cove. I've now lived in Ensenada, Mexico for the past five years. We run a ministry called Mission Adventures through YWAM Youth of the Mission. Uh, Mission Adventures is a short-term missions trip uh, for a gate geared towards high schoolers or young adults. And so we have them come out for a week. They go out, they build a house, they go out to orphanages and just practically be the hands and feet of Jesus. Uh, but it's dual focused. We turn it inwards. And this is a stat that drives our mission. Uh, is high school is the highest percentage of people that attend church and then college is the lowest. And so we wanna reach these kids before they get to that lowest point of a church attendance. We wanna reach them to where they can take a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So we have sessions, we're sharing with them that missions isn't just for the missions field, it isn't just for another country, it's for them back home in their schools and their churches and their homes, wherever they're at. And so that's kind of a little bit what we do. Love to talk to you more about what, what me and my wife do in Mexico. <laughs> Man, you got an applause. I did. Uh, hello, my name is Adam. This is my wife, Gina, and we have three children, Noah, Eli, and Amos, and we also live and staff in Ensenada, Mexico with YWAM. We've been there the last eight years. Um, this is our home, but also our home is down there. It's kind of a weird process. Um, but yeah, primarily what we do is we work with training schools. So DTS is a discipleship training school, five-month program where students come and they study the Word of God for three months and then they go out into the world to share what they've learned and to share God with people that need to know God. And then uh, we work primarily with a, a DBS, which is a discipleship Bible school. I know a lot of acronyms in YWAM. Um, but basically that is a three-month program where we read cover to cover the book, the good book of the Lord, and we learn about God's redemptive plan and how God's redemptive plan is not just for us, but it's for everybody in the world. And um, it's probably my favorite school, and which has led us into working into the communities a lot more. Um, and so we've started um, a big project, a big thing on, on our hearts and what God has brought us to do is the community center. Um, so we are pushing to build a community center because we want to be in the community, um, working with people that need to know Jesus. So whether it's through fitness, through escape ministry, through mission adventures with Josh, um, yeah, God is leading us into knowing people and bringing them into the fold. So. Hi, I'm Holly and um, Holly Freitas, and I'm the director of uh, development, program development for Global Fingerprints, which is a child sponsorship organization. 
Um, the, um, our organization opens the door to church planting in hard places and equips the church to be able to reach out to vulnerable children and families in the communities. And I want to tell you that the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. We're working in hard places like Cuba and Vietnam and Myanmar, um, India, other very hard places to get in and where uh, church planters and followers of Jesus are reaching out um, into the community and reaching their neighbors. And so um, we work with Reach Global and Tony will tell you a little more about that. <laughs> I'm Holly's husband, and uh, yeah, I've been uh, training pastors and church leaders for, for many years now, and it came about because there's pastors who took our community development training, and uh, that's my, my job title as a director of Community Hope, which is a community development program, and the pastors were asking me, hey, can you teach this to our church, because we don't know how to reach the community. We reach the people in the church, but we don't reach people outside the church. And that grew into a much, much bigger program where now we're doing theology training and community development training. But what we learned is that most of the people in a lot of communities don't think the church cares about them because they aren't doing anything to help them with their needs. They're not reaching outside the walls of the church. So these guys wanted to learn, how do we do that? And so the strategy that we use helps them meet the needs of the community physically, emotionally, spiritually, and socially and really helps to bring the church out to the community. And in turn, what we end up with are people who are now hearing the gospel who otherwise would have never listened. They didn't want to hear, but now they're able to listen to the gospel and there are people coming to Christ all over the place. And these church planters that we're training, um, a group of them in South Sudan that I've been teaching for, oh gosh, past eight years. And we're on our fourth, fourth, fourth two-year cohort right now, and they have planted, all of these together combined, have planted over 150 churches in South Sudan and Northern wow. Uganda. So they're doing an amazing job. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Mike Strong. I live in Manteca, and my mission field is my community and those that I have a sphere of influence with. I asked Mike to come up here because I know that in his... I know that if some of you know Mike, but if he has a conversation with anybody, it's not long before it comes around to the issue of your faith in the Lord Jesus. And that should be all of us. It's not just in Mexico. It's not just around the world. It's your responsibility, my opportunity to do that. And so I hope you go out of here challenged to say, God, I, I, I want to reach our church. That is a lifeblood of our church to reach and to raise. You've already probably been raised, so now start raising and reaching others. We're gonna pray, and then man, I want you to hit the mall, grab a, grab a passport. These people are gonna be out there. Man, just talk to them, find out what's going on. If you're a little one, if you're a youngster in this service, we still have some children's passports at the front table as well, so we don't want you to miss out of that as well. All right, let's pray. Father God, just thank you. Man, I am thankful that you are at work around the world, and that we can have that be an extension of that. But Father, we help us never to use the work around the world as an excuse for, not to, for us not to reach our own world, our own neighbor, our own sphere of influence. Father, excite us this morning. Excite us to go out and to reach and to go into our own mission field. Thank you for every uh, organization represented, every ministry or represented. Father, make them effective and may we support them greatly. In your sons, let me pray, amen. Thank you for being here. If you're a guest, make sure you find your way to the new table there. We'd love to have you. Thanks for being here.